Okay, good morning, uh, Hebrew Roots. One of the last podcasts ever, if not the last. I think it is the last because on Monday we're going to watch the video. And we're going to have a partay on Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, we'll talk about, and you guys just bring whatever you want to your heart's content. Till we're just, it's literally just coming out of our nostrils. Okay, listen, let's stand. Let's say the Shema together, one of our last Shema. So I want to, I want the Lord to, to just be blown away by your, remember, it doesn't take intelligence to be a Talmud. It takes guts. It takes, uh, right? It takes, it takes ma'od. That's very, it takes uhness. Okay, if that makes sense. All right, here we go. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Ve'chol Levavecha, Uve'chol Nefshecha, Uve'chol Meodecha, Ve'ahavta Lagreacha Kamocha. Amen. O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. These are the very words of God. Okay, y'all be seated for my words. <laughs> I'm going to stuff this mini lesson in before the fish and the coin lesson because it's too good and we don't have any more time. Yes, you're going to want this because this is so so cool. Um, I want to. Uh, I want you to turn to. It's John seven thirty seven. I was right. I was one page away. Dead coming. Okay. This is really really neat. Look at John seven, verse thirty seven. What is your Bible? How does it uh, chapter head that? What is the chapter heading? Promise of the Holy Spirit. John 7, 37. Okay, good. No, you're not in. I said 37, yes. Promise of the Spirit. Okay, my version says rivers of living water. Um, here's, what it, here's what it reads, how it reads. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, in that little paragraph is so much power and so much history and so much awesome Jesusness. As we've looked at this whole semester, how amazing of a teacher Jesus really is. Let me tell you guys, this is one of those places where I hope you feel the power of how Jesus knows his audience. He knows his surroundings and he is familiar with the text. And if you have heard me try to instill in you anything this semester, it's guys, know your audience. Know the surroundings, because remember Jesus always used his surroundings, and know the text. 
The festival is called Sukkot. Sukkot in Hebrew. Sukkot. Ot is plural. Feminine plural. And it's plural for a sukkah. A sukkah is a tabernacle. It's a tent. It's a booth. It's a shack. It's a temporary dwelling. You would build a sukkah in the middle of a vineyard for several reasons. Uh, maybe because you, didn't, you were far away from home and you needed somewhere to sleep in some kind of shade. The Israelites built Sukkot in the wilderness for 40 years as they were traveling around. They, they, they didn't go stay in houses. What, what houses? They had to make their own houses. So this festival, this festival of Sukkot, is one of the coolest festivals. So th let me tell you a little bit about Sukkot and what goes on in the festival of Sukkot so that you can take this little 37, 38, 39 and go, oh, he's so awesome. Yes. Okay, throughout the seven days of Sukkot, a special priest carried water in a golden pitcher from the pool of Siloam. Now, that was a pool that was right there. You, you've heard of Siloam. Now, that special priest takes this golden pitcher. And remember, in the temple, that entire area around the holy place is filled with visitors to Jerusalem who are celebrating this feast. So there's not anything but standing room only, okay, around all these festivals. So imagine that entire court area just completely filled with people. And, the, and it's very ceremonial. By, the by Jesus' day, this was very much elaborate ceremony. So this special priest takes the golden pitcher and everybody's watching him and he goes down. And he goes to the pool of Siloam, which is around back. He dips the pitcher in. And as he walks back in with thousands of people in there, everybody takes that pitcher. He hands it to the high priest. And that is to be poured at the foot of the altar of sacrifice by the high priest. And so the priest makes this big show of it. And he says, and there's this hush that comes. And we're sitting there going, okay, he's pouring water out at the bottom of an altar. Big deal. What's that all about? Hang on. It symbolized Prayer for rain. This is an agricultural people who depended on crops to live and for money. They didn't have automatic, automatic irrigation. Now, they had some pretty ingenious technology for irrigation, but... They couldn't just make it rain whenever they wanted. They had to still depend on God for the rain. That's Joel 2.23. Now, the last day of Sukkot is called, in your Bible, they got it right, they call it the great day. I don't know if you saw that. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, in Hebrew, that is Hashanah Rabbah. That is, that means great day. Hashanah Rabbah. Hashanah Rabbah is great day. Great day in the morning. All right. So the last day 
the great day, Hashanah Rabbah, the priests marched around the altar seven times carrying willow branches. On the seventh circuit around the altar, the priests would beat their willow branches until the leaves fell off. They were, now do you know what it sounds like when you take a willow branch and you say, and there's thousands of people and that sound with all these priests that are doing this, do you know what that sounds like? It sounds like rain. It's kind of cool. Sounds like rain. On the seventh circuit around, the priest would beat their willow branches until the leaves fell off. The high priest would start to pour the water out of that gold pitcher while other priests blew golden trumpets. Other priests sang songs. And the worshipers would shout, raise your hand higher! Because remember this, this elaborate ceremony. They want to see that high priest pour out that water, which were the prayers of the saints praying for rain. Please God, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. So they would shout, raise your hand higher so they could see the priest performing this great task. This was done several times. Now, the ceremony came to a climax when the priest carrying that golden pitcher would pour out that water one final time. So the special priest gives the high priest that golden pitcher the seventh time. And he does this and they say, raise your hand higher! Except it's all the people. They know what to shout. They know when to shout it. They do this every year and have since they were little kids. So he says this. And they say, raise your hand higher. And he goes, raise your hand higher. And he finally raises as high as he can. And then he dumps it over and nothing comes out. It's the same every year. And everybody knows what's going to happen. But it's a picture. And, and the guy made it look like it was full and carries the priest. The priest turns it over. Nothing comes out. It was at this moment that everyone in the temple court would fall silent. All 10, 20, 30,000 people. Raise your hand higher. The priest, the last time, he pours it out. And this hush would come over the entire temple. It was probably very powerful to hear that many people. Ew. And it was a way to say, God, we need you. We fall silent before you because if you don't provide this rain, we're going to die. And it was at this moment that your Bible says, Jesus stood up what does that imply he was doing before then? Along with the rest of the nation that does this. Raise your hand higher! He does it. And then they all say, oh. And they all get down on all fours. And the whole nation falls silent. And it says, and Jesus stood up and said, Are you thirsty? Anybody that comes to me! And he shouts it and it's heard, thundered through the entire forum of the entire temple. One man, his voice thunders across all the silence. Are you thirsty? Why would he say that? 
Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I know you depend on that water. Let me be the source. And I cannot imagine how powerful that would be. If you're clear on the other side of the temple and you hear, if anyone thirsts, who's talking? Shh. Let him come to me. Who is that? And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then he sits down again. Isn't that amazing that Jesus knows exactly when to say, shout what he says. Now, if you don't know about that ceremony and how it's done, we read on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. What's cried out? What's that? He screams, he, he cries out like this. He knows he needs to be heard throughout the whole thing. And we read the Bible so two-dimensional. And Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, uh, let him come to me and drink. That's not what he did. I'm not saying in your living room, you gotta go, if anyone thirsts, your mom and dad are like, oh my gosh, are you okay? You're like, no, no, I was just reading the Bible. But honestly, I think it would make the Bible come to life a little more when it says, and so-and-so cried out, if you actually yelled it. But... You do what you need. And I love this because he was talking about the spirit. The spirit is living water. Do you know what living water is to the Hebrews? What is living water? Uh, See, living water, it's water you can drink that won't kill you. And I don't mean because it's poison. I mean, it's from a fresh spring source. Whether it's rain or from a, actual fount, uh, what do you call it? Spring. It's spring-fed water. That's living water. It's water that moves. It's not stagnant. It's not still. It, it, it doesn't start to grow bacteria. It's fresh water, and that's living water. So anytime the Bible talks about living water, it's spring-fed, spring-sourced water. They were always baptized in living water. That means they had to get living water and put it in their baptistry, in their mikvah. Had to be living water. Living water is water that won't kill you, like wadi water. Water at the bottom of a wadi. That water will kill you because as you're drinking it up and uh, enjoying that shade, you're a little stuck in the mud. A 50 to 75 foot wall of water comes and wipes you and your entire flock out in seconds. That water will kill you. And the shepherd knows the difference. Okay, so that's Sukkot. Um, it's really cool because uh, when they heard these words, if you keep reading and stop with the chapter breaks, look at verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the capital P prophet. Others said, this guy is Messiah. I think he's the Messiah. Others said, Wait a minute, is Messiah supposed to come from the Galil? Doesn't scripture say that the Messiah comes uh, from the offspring of David and, and comes from Bethlehem? The village where David was, this guy's from Nazareth. They didn't even know Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem but moved to Nazareth. So they're arguing about, no, Messiah's supposed to come from Nazareth. Well, yeah, this guy's from, I mean, from Bethlehem. This guy's from Nazareth. The officers answered, sorry, uh, Bethlehem where David was. So there was a division among the people. Some of them wanted to arrest him 
but no one laid hands on him. They wanted to arrest him because that's public disturbance. You're disturbing the peace. You don't stand up and scream out and call all this attention to you in the middle of our sacred feast. That's Jesus. Man, you talk about a guy that could take advantage of his surroundings, his environment, and use it. Oh, he's brilliant. Okay. Um, Thank you, Jesus. You are so awesome. Now, let's talk about that coin in the fish's mouth. Oh, I love this because people think Jesus was a great teacher by default. Why was he a great teacher? Well, he's God's son. Therefore, he has to be great. Nope. Nope. I don't believe it. Jesus is great because he's unbelievably amazing. And he also happens to be Jesus, uh, God's son. It's Matthew 17. I know it was there close. I am a doofus. Okay. Matthew 17. Let's read this story. Uh, verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Shmon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when Peter said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, uh, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. Cool. All right, guys. Jesus is the master teacher. I want to be like Jesus. I fall pretty short most of the time, but I want to be like Jesus a lot. And one of the qualities of Jesus that I want to be like is I want to be a master teacher. Somebody that knows their environment, they know their audience, and man, they are passionate and can use the power of that entire thing to bring together a lesson that changes lives. So the most powerful lessons in life are not those that we study. The most powerful lessons in life are those that we live. True? I think so. Which one is more powerful? Don't touch that hot stove or you'll burn your hand, little Jimmy. Or, Jimmy, don't touch the stove. Oh, yeah. Ow! Yeah, uh uh-huh. What do you think about that now, smart guy? I think Jimmy knows and, and really finds that that lesson is powerful, the one where he burns his hand. So Simon Peter was approached by two drachma tax collectors, the, the, the two drachma tax collectors. And they ask him outright, does your rabbi not pay the tax? Who knows their motivation for asking Peter this? I, I don't. Were they like classmates of Peter? Did they all grow up in the same village? Maybe Peter uh, is following this renowned Yeshua around and they're kind of like, I don't know, um, jealous, maybe? We don't know. We don't know. Uh, Are they old rivals? Had they made a pact to stay at the same fishing company as Peter, uh, Andrew, James, and John, but those guys ended up going, I don't know. But you know what's cool is to ask those kind of questions around the text And God invites us to do that. I wonder if they were old classmates. Why would they walk up to Peter and go, hey, did your rabbi pay the temple tax? Did they know Peter? I think they did. It's Capernaum. It's a city of 250 people, maybe 1,000 people. I don't know. It's small. It's very small. I think they knew Peter. 
And I think they knew Peter was following Jesus. And I, th- I think that Jesus was not with Peter. Do you get the idea that Jesus was not with Peter? Why do you get that idea that Jesus wasn't with Peter? Okay, because he walked into the house and who was already in the house? Good. Why wouldn't the temple tax collectors just ask Jesus? I don't think he was with Peter. And that's why Peter answers for him. Don't you think if Jesus were standing there, even if they directed their question to Peter, does your rabbi not pay the temple tax? Do you think Peter would have answered for Jesus with the rabbi, the master right there? Oh yeah, sure he does. He's right there. Yeah, of course he does, jerk. No. Jesus would have said, well, yes, or no, I don't. So I think there was something there. They were trying to get out of Peter something, okay? This is really cool, but I do believe it's healthy to surround the text with possible scenarios and questions and outcomes. That's how we get into scripture. You know why reading the Bible was boring for me nearly my whole life? Uh, And I didn't like to read the Bible because I never got into it. I read the words off the page and they were in 2D. But when I started to interact with the text, I wonder if these guys, I, hey, I, hey, text, why, why do you think this? Why does it say it like this? Why does Jesus say he stood up? Well, that would mean he had to have been kneeling down or, or, or even laying down. So if he was, I wonder why he was laying down. What, what happened? And I start researching. Now the Bible comes alive, okay? This text that these guys are talking about, I don't know if you know this, but it was established in Exodus chapter 30. Verses 11 through 16. The tax in Exodus 30 is a way to take a census of Israel and the men of Israel who were age 20 and older. Instead of going like this, um, one, two, three, four, five, how old are you? 17, uh, uh, 17, six, oh shoot, I lost my count. One, two, five, was I on 17 or five? Instead of doing that, all they had to do was count the, the half shekel. And if there were 27,000 half shekels, they knew there was 27,000 men ages 20 and up that were in Israel. Yes. One shekel for drachmas? Yes. One shekel for drachmas. Two drachma per half shekel. Yes, sir. Good. You said one shekel for both of them. Yes, exactly. One shekel for both, right? And so that's also a clue. All right. Um. Whenever a census was taken of Israel, they had to take this, uh, they had to pay this temple tax. So the money was used for temple stuff. It's the same reason you take an offering in your church. It's used to pay the lights and the um, air conditioning. It pays the paid staff. It pays for things like Lord's Supper, uh, juice and crackers. It's, it's stuff that's used internally. So this was the temple tax that was to be used in the affairs of the temple. Now, this is one of those rare passages, guys, that gives the treasure seeker hidden reward. You get a bonus. You get an Easter egg when you study this passage because it's going to show some things that are just awesome, but it's not overtly obvious. It's not just clear. It doesn't jump off the page. Um, What was the age of those required to pay the tax? 20 and older. Who was with Jesus in Capernaum? Mm. All of them, good. The, the, the right answer is verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, if you want to know who they are, back up. As they were gathering in Galilee. Oops, who's that? I got to back up before 22. When I finally get my answer, I've got to go all the way back to chapter 17. And I find out he's with his disciples and they're on their way to the Galilee. They're on their way to Capernaum. Capernaum, you say. The village of Nahum. All right, so... Um, Presumably it's the disciples, and I would presume that it's all of the disciples, all 12 of them. Now, 
The collectors of the tax approached Peter, who may have gone out to buy some cheese or some eggs. I don't know. Maybe some essentials for the evening. And they ask their question. Now, it's important to keep in mind that the disciples are together because if they are together, and even if they're not, this portion of text is going to shed light on the age of the disciples. Now we're going to know how old they are. At least we can infer to the best explanation, which is our abductive reasoning, okay? Most folks continue to assume that even here, this podcast would assume that the disciples are middle-aged men uh, with beards, spectacles, right? Uh, losing their hair, balding. But even though that's against all cultural and conventional wisdom, we know that Peter is the oldest for at least three reasons. And here's some of that hidden stuff that comes out. He's always addressed first. Peter is. And you always address the oldest first. He speaks for the entire group of disciples. And he's the only one, as mentioned, having a wife. There are other reasons to assume Peter's the oldest. One being how long some of the, the disciples lived, actually. Namely, John and James, the Lord's brother. But um, this is another reason we know Peter's the oldest. Okay, we'll get to that. At the conclusion of... Um, of this miracle that happens in chapter 17 here. Jesus says, Peter, take that shekel and give it to them for me and for you. This begs the question, yes, if all the disciples are old men, bearded, why wouldn't their rabbi pay for them too? That's kind of a unfair. Hey, Peter, you, look, we're going to have a fish pay our taxes. Just take that shekel out, pay it for me and for you. Hey, what about us, Jesus? We're all 20 and older. Well, sorry, you're on your own, fellas. That doesn't sound like Jesus. But if Peter is the oldest and Jesus says, take that and pay the tax for me and for you, I know Jesus is older than 20 and I know that Peter's older than 20. The rest, the reason I don't think they say, hey, that's not fair. What about me over here? Jeez, you wise guy, is because they're not 20. They're 15, they're 14, they're 13, there's 12, they're 16. They're not old enough, so it doesn't matter. So Peter says, cool, okay. Now, that's one nugget. Let's keep going. Back to the original question of the Jewish tax collectors. They ask Peter, does your rabbi not pay the tax? Peter instinctively, and I love Peter, I identify with Peter, I am just like Peter because Peter is open mouth, insert foot here, Right? I usually speak first and then I think about what I just said. Not so good. It's like, stick your foot in your mouth. That's, I'm always doing that. Ask Michaela. My whole life, I've just, bah! I blurt stuff out and I'm like, oh my gosh. And somebody's like, that was really inappropriate. I'm like, I know. Can't believe I told that joke. I shouldn't have. But Peter blurts out. Yes, he does. Now that's really cool. Peter doesn't just, does my rabbi pay I think he feels like he needs to defend Jesus. I think he feels like they're saying, so how come your rabbi doesn't pay the tax? Well, he does. He does, you big meanie, right? Or does your rabbi pay the tax? Yeah, of course. Shut up, man. It's that idea of, yes, he does. And so he blurts out this answer. And then when Peter comes into the house, it's so cool. Before he can even close the door, behind him. Jesus says, Peter, ahem, uh, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take their toll or tax? Now, how odd, what a weird way to greet your oldest disciple. Not, 
Hey, Peter, how'd it go? How's it, how much was it? Did you run into any trouble? Did you see anybody you knew? Peter comes in. Hey, from whom do the kings of the earth take their toll or tax, buddy? From their sons or from others? Uh, hi, Rabbi. Nice to see you too. Just a weird thing to say. Oh, man. What an interesting way to greet someone. I just think that the text is clear enough that Jesus was not with Peter, okay? In the plaza, wherever the tax collectors were. And Peter, if he was with Jesus, wouldn't have answered for, for his teacher. <sighs> Who knows how long Peter was gone? Five minutes? 30 minutes? Two hours? There is no need to add the detail that Jesus was with the disciples and Math, uh, Peter was out by himself. There's really no need to answer that, add it to the story. Yet Matthew does. They approached Peter. They asked Peter. Peter came into the house. Matthew wants us to know Jesus was not with Peter. Okay, that's huge. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus had no way of knowing about Peter's conversation. There's no way he could have known. Peter walks in and is met with this question. A question that's eerily similar to the question the tax collectors just asked him. Now, it would be coincidence, but I'm kind of betting that Peter stopped believing in coincidences when it came to Jesus a long time ago. It was like, well, you said like, be quiet and the waves calm down. What a coincidence, right? You said, what do you want me to do for you? The guy said, I want to see again. You said, then you can see. And the guy actually, what a coincidence. He, was, he regained his sight. Man, like Peter stopped a long time ago. Like he doesn't believe in coincidences. Jesus has been known before to have special knowledge of conversations. Do you remember his conversation with Nathaniel? I don't know if you remember this. It's John chapter one. Andrew, no, Philip I think, goes and tells Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, we've been waiting for hundreds of years. We found him. And Nathaniel says, oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he's like, come here and see. As he's walking to Jesus, Jesus says, oh my goodness. Look, everyone, a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And the guy says, oh, you're the king of Israel. It's the weirdest conversation you've ever read. It's in John. You're going to be like, what is, this is the weirdest thing I've ever. And, and, and he says, oh my gosh, how do, I, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before I met you, I saw you under the fig tree. And the guy just goes nuts. He just goes crazy, loses it. See, nobody fell out of their chair. Because it doesn't make sense to us. What's a fig tree to Hebrew root students? What do you know a fig tree is? It's a, and specifically, it's a teacher. It's a master, right? You guys, did you know that when Jesus greets Nathaniel and says, behold, a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit, he's not actually, hey guy, he's quoting scripture. Exactly scripture. And do you know how Nathaniel answers him? With scripture. And guess what? Both passages are taken out of the same place in the Old Testament. Do you know why Nathaniel flips out? When Jesus said, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. You were sitting at your rabbi's feet and you were having that conversation about Messiah and you were talking about this passage. I heard you. That would make Nathaniel flip out. How 
could you have heard? We were alone. We were 100 miles from anybody. How could you possibly know I was just talking about Messiah from the Old Testament? And the fact that you greeted me with the same passage we were discussing, you are the king of Israel. You see why he believes all of a sudden? See, Western commentators want to say, Jesus had supervision like Superman. And he could see 10 miles down the road and he saw Nathaniel. And he told Nathaniel, well, when you were under the fig tree, I saw it. And that's not why Nathaniel got crazy. He got crazy because Jesus said, you remember that conversation you were having in private, a hundred miles from anybody whispering to your rabbi? Hmm. I'm the guy. What do you mean I'm the guy? Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How could you have known that? You know what I mean? Like, could you imagine you whisper something to a, 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 a loved one? You whisper it in their ear and you say, Mecca like a high, Mecca hiney ho. That's my, that's my code word for I love you and your lips are beautiful. Okay, and you get a big laugh out of it. And every time you see your, your significant other, you say, Mecca like a high, Mecca hiney ho. Or you say, Mecca like a high, and they say, Mecca hiney ho. <laughs> and then your Hebrew roots teacher says, And you go, oh my gosh, why, why did you say that, Mr. D? How would you know? I, it's a made-up word. You know what I'm saying? Like, you would freak out if somebody, if somebody guessed something that you were, there's no way anybody could have known that except, you know what I mean? So this is, this is Jesus. He has this special knowledge. 